Hey, this is Lux. And this is Cena Grace. And this is Dayspring, and welcome to a very special episode of Power of X-Men. During the whole making of X-Men and the casting of X-Men, I was there in the production office. Remember, you don't need to scream for help when Banshees are around. Was it supposed to be Jean, or was it supposed to be Madeline? I drew that image and a deliberate hint at things to come. What makes Marvel Legends so special? Just the partnership with Marvel, you know, continuing to work with Jesse Falcon. This is your special guest host, Mr. Sinister. (laughs) You would never put Storm in a ponytail. That would be weird. That would be weird. (laughs) But giving it to Jean kind of made her the girl next door that everybody could talk to. When I met Stan, he was very gracious and and, and very kind. This is the Power of X-Men podcast. I am your host, Dayspring. Hope you survive the experience. Welcome to Power of X-Men. And today we are going to be talking about the Iceman series by Cena Grace with a very special mutant by the name of Lux. Lux, what's going on? Uh, not much, Dayspring. I'm so excited. I have just been thinking about this this series for so long and it's just stuck in my head permanently in the best way. I, I love the series so much. And, and I love you because I feel like you have <sighs> been part of the power of X-Men community since day one. And to give folks a quick bio on you, you grew up on the central coast of California where you did theater all through high school. And after that, you joined the Navy as an enlisted journalist for five years before moving to Salt Lake City to be closer to family and get your Bachelor of Science in Strategic Communications with a minor in Documentary Studies. And during undergrad, you wrote a paper on Cena Grace's Iceman, and you have been reading the series all the way through, and you spend too much money on comic books. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's 100%. <laughs> that's it. Um, uh, with with this, this comic series, I remember I was in this class that was just all about uh, critically analyzing Disney as a corporation, as a media conglomerate, and even Walt Disney, the man. Um, and our final project was you need to pick something owned by Disney and analyze it through either a Marxist, a feminist, or a queer studies lens. And I, this was 2018, I believe. So it's just just a little while after they decided to uh, force Iceman out of the closet. Um, and so I was like, well, let's read this solo series that I've heard about. Let's do that. And I did. And the the owner of my local comic shop, his name is Greg also. That's my first name as well. Uh, he was so helpful. Him and his manager, Taylor, uh, Black Cat Comics in Salt Lake City. Yes. Love oh, them. Love that. And they just, they helped me pick out everything. This was um, about halfway through the third volume as where we were when I was writing this. And there was just such a rich area to mine from out of just Cena's work. Well, so we can sit here and we can talk about Iceman in great detail, but because you're such a big fan of the series, I decided to invite someone to join our chat and they're joining right now. It's why we're not, we have Cena Grace himself. Dayspring, you are so shady. 
I'm having a whole fangirl moment right now. Cena, I love you so much. Hi. Sorry. <laughs> I started eating a cookie. That's okay. I, I'm going to do my best to not just only compliment you for the next hour and a half. I'll compliment yeah, you a lot, about, though. No, let's just talk about, like, political affairs. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Folks, if you can't see what just happened, if you're just listening to the podcast, Cena Grace, the writer of Iceman, has just joined the chat. What's up? Oh, Cena? my God. This is so exciting. <laughs> so, Cena, this is Lux, and his real name is Greg. You already said that. And... Greg, this is Cena Grace. Oh my Man. god, this is this is so cool. Cena, how's your day been? It's been good. <laughs> um, it's been good. Just been counting the minutes for this to happen. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I uh, yesterday, uh, in the midst of announcing that I didn't make it to the final two of a, a DC competition, um, I was like, but I'm doing my own book and image, uh, mm-hmm. and so I've been working on that today. I'm, I'm working on. Um, like just like a nice like 64 page one shot that is about like two best friends throwing a party. So I was drawing that today and it made me, it makes me really happy. Um, yeah. How are you doing? What, what, what did you do today? Uh, today? I honestly just, I was at work and just talking to everyone who would listen. I was like, you're never going to believe what I'm doing today. I'm going <laughs> on a podcast to talk about comic books. My life is great. Um, and now it's I'm just fun, like, right? I'm composing myself. This like is a shock, a shock to I my feel, core. Well, I feel like I can see an Iceman action figure in the back you of your. Certainly can. I actually I bought that as like a present to myself after that semester, and oh. he just he just lives up there. He watches over my bedroom. Wait, Cena, you couldn't hear what Lux was talking about in the waiting room, right? They don't. We don't no. have like music. So it I was don't... so disabled. So... Also, that word sounds like it needs to not be used anymore. But you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> you were in a traditional waiting room with no sound or entertainment. How about that? Yeah, I was in a void. And then I found my cookies. <laughs> um, so Lux, I don't think Cena knows that you wrote a college paper on Iceman. And you can refresh me what the the course was, but I did read the paper when you and I started talking and it was such a wonderful paper. And you do talk about Cena's run quite a bit in there. Yeah, so the, the purpose of the course was to critically analyze things that are owned by Disney. Um, and the final project was you had to pick anything that was technically under that giant conglomerate umbrella and analyze it through either a Marxist, a feminist, or a queer studies lens. And I I was telling Dayspring, this was uh, just after, it was just before the the issue with Spider-Man and Firestar came out. Um, So I was just like, well, let's, let's read this comic book. Let's see what this is all about. And let's try to focus it on this. I talk about, um, Frank Welker voicing Iceman in the original Spider-Man and his amazing friends show. And I talk about Sean Ashmore a little bit and, but most of it is just all right here. <laughs> um, and I got to say my favorite part about writing that paper was citing little ice puns. There's a part where I just <laughs> list like Bobby saying ice to meet you. 
And I just laughed as I was writing that and like putting in MLA citations. <laughs> um, but it was just fun. And I've just spent the last uh, two years since I wrote or three now, I guess, since I wrote it, just talking about it and sending it to anyone who will read it. And Aww. I think I actually, because um, you it's were on this paper. podcast it's before, correct? Yeah, yeah. That, that's how I found this podcast. <laughs> I was just like, oh, oh really? Cena's talking about Iceman. Let's hear what's going on. Oh, shit. Well. So it's like, it's like a weird full circle moment for me right now. Cena, the oh, amount lovely. of people that have come to this podcast because of that. So we were generations of X previously, and so right. now it's, it's Power of X-Men. But the amount of people who have found this community from that episode, it's so many. I would just have assumed it's from like someone like Demanda Martini, but I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> we love Demanda. Oh, that's lovely. So love her. <laughs> that's lovely. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm glad you like, I'm glad that I think that was one of the most like heartwarming, like things, ta- I guess takeaway is the right word. Um, like the best like takeaway from that whole experience is that even if, the people I was working with like weren't always picking up what I was putting down. It was really lovely when there were people who would actually kind of look at what was going on in the book um, in the series overall and, and sort of give it the respect of, of, you know, reading into the subtext and reading into, you know, everything, like even just sort of, there's just like lots of room to, to sort of, I, I put a lot of, avenues to dissect that book and mm-hmm. and to and to kind of take meaning uh where people want that that wasn't a mistake so i'm really happy that uh, you you spent the time to do an mla citation for ice to meet you <laughs> <laughs> my goal was i wanted the my professor dr griffin to like just read that and laugh like college is dumb sometimes it was like ice to meet you in quotations and then in parentheses grace comma page 53 (laughs) (laughs) see now i didn't know this until later like just there was an iceman series before yours i always assumed you were first solo did you did you ever reference that when you were writing your your both your iceman volumes I I got them both. I got them both with the intention to do that. Um, there, those were both really peculiar Iceman books, and did not really have anything for me to take from them. They're just weird. They're really weird. The one from what was it, the eighties or something? It's like he deals with like dimensional, like I don't even know what the fuck they were, but like <laughs> you know, he it, it, he deals with like the weirdest, dumbest villains that like don't have anything to do with him. And then the next one is all about like having a weird, illegitimate baby with his ex girlfriend and like genetic blah 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 and it was i just thought and the covers were so cool so so excited when i got those on ebay and then i read them and was like i this there's nothing in here for me um, that, to mine 
That was the, the the second series was during that like relaunch, that like Morrison mm-hmm. relaunch where he has nothing but the leather and he's like shirtless. Yeah. But um, the first one, I'm pulling it up right now. Like, it's just weird. Like, it's I weird. Guess- he goes to like a family party and like hits on an old neighbor or something. And, um, and I, you know, and I, and I was trying to like look through that because obviously the family was a huge component of of my series but again there just wasn't it just yeah they were just such weird like uh I don't I don't want to be mean because these are people who worked on these books and I'm sure they had the best of intentions but I just think I don't know I don't know they just like passed time like they weren't yeah yeah they weren't anything which is so funny because I you know it's like what I'd give to like get to do an Iceman (laughs) book where there are like yeah, no, we just need to fill the calendar, like, instead of, like, hey, don't fuck it up and represent an entire, like, community of people, and then, like, also don't fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no pressure at all. Did you, and I can't remember if we talked about this when you were on the podcast before, did you feel any pressure when you were writing Iceman to to get everything right? I know you said that you consulted with a lot of people, especially when you were creating Shade, yeah well more and actually shade aka dark veil i didn't do that much consulting because that was just sort of like that would that like got ahead of us like i i just thought it was going to be cool and i wanted to throw it in and have fun with it and didn't feel as uh nervous about speaking for that community per se um but with the Madden character who is like very much a, a read on the trans non-binary community and like just talking about that, especially with Morlocks, because you want, you know, it, it's like you want to shine a light on the thing, but you don't want to like disrespect the thing or, or add another layer of like grime to a community that actually needs like light, you know, like the TV show Pose, I think always like has to juggle that all the time where they have to be real, but they also want to give their characters happy endings. And it's, and it's tough, you know, um, I, I can't, I wish I kept a journal. Cause like, I don't like my memory of it. Yes. And no, like certain things I felt really confident and, and mellow about, and then other things I felt like I had to get just right. And the main, the main thing I, I said the whole time and, and, and believe and is true and still true to this day was just, I would always mine from real experiences because there were just so many people who were still upset about that, uh, that whole journey for Bobby Drake to, to come out and be gay. Um, that I, I just didn't, I didn't, I, I was like, okay, I've got to kind of go like authentic with this. And so I just, you know, really focused on like real stories my friends had. And, and um, like I dated this guy who, when he came out to his parents, like he wasn't out to his parents when I dated him and he was like 25, 26. Um, and he wrote a letter to them. And, uh, you know, his mom said, uh, like, we need to talk. I love you. Nothing changes that, but we need to talk. And I think that that's in the book. I love you. Nothing changes yeah. that. I think that's um, at the end of the first volume. Yeah, I think the dad says it, right? Mm-hmm. I think I made, yeah, I think I made, I, I, you know, and, and that was the other thing too, was just trying to kind of subvert what 
the parent figures do in pop culture was like sort of important to me to kind of just make it complicated and make it weird. Um, I think the thing that I thought I did well and then when it came out, people were like not happy was uh, the Kitty and Bobby interaction. And that was because, again, that came from a real experience. You know, that was like what a girlfriend said to me when I came out to her Mm. (laughs) ex-girlfriend. But um, I think they characterized... I think different people characterized both of them as pretty like selfish in that interaction. And, but you know what, by the end of the book, cause that's the thing too, is like, no one really wanted to give me any credit. So like they read that issue in a vacuum, had their opinions. And then when, you know, by the end of the arc, when Kitty comes around in her own way and when their relationship, you know, grows and matures as characters should do in a story arc, it, it all kind of made sense, but I think like the month that book came out and again, everyone was looking for something to be mad about with it. So, um, so they were both kind of like, yeah, people on both sides kind of thought of them as like kind of pretty selfish, which, um, you know, that's the thing too, with storytelling, your characters can't always, you know, be like Disney perfect. Yeah, no. Right. And I, I think one of the big things that, that struck with me was that, Kitty did a thing that sometimes people will do is that Bobby is coming to her and saying, I need to deal with this in my own way. And she kind of centered herself, uh, which is, you know, something I've, I've seen many, many people do just over the course of my life and just make it about her. And I thought it was, it was a very realistic expression. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are again, cause these are real people to me or, you know what I mean? Like these are like the can't like, the experiences they had leading up to all of that, you know, and that's the only way I, that's like the other thing I did too, is like, you just kind of have to be like this, like all this stuff happened. Like he dated all of these women and had all of these experiences with them. And he's like saved the world a million times. And, you know, like, but here he is now like dealing with a bunch of stuff he never (laughs) dealt with because he was able to, you know, like every day, new crisis, cool. Don't have to deal with my shit. (laughs) Like, cool. (laughs) Like get to like, I saved the world. I can just go to bed. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you you know which ex-girlfriend now that I'm thinking of it wasn't in the series and I'm curious if you ever had plans with her was Lorna was Lorna ever on your radar she's doesn't she get a text message at the beginning of, you have the trade right there issue three yeah. page one I think it's a text message I yeah, have that said- page open Sina, <laughs> <laughs> because I specifically wanted to ask you about it um, so in, in this scene Bobby's outside of his parents house and He's just this first arc to me was just about him coming out fully on his own on his own terms as much as he could, even though everyone's hearing it through the grapevine. And he just sends a text message out to everyone mm-hmm. and just breaking it down like, hey, I'm processing this. Let's go. And then it's got different different text backs. And my favorite are actually it's Lorna is one of them. She says a part of me always kind of thought so. That's probably why I picked Alex, which <laughs> Jeff's kiss perfect. Um, and then I think Dayspring is going to agree with me on another one of my favorites is Boom Boom. Her response is just, <laughs> new phone. Who did this? <laughs> I love that. And, and no, I agree with you. I, I felt very satisfied with that text message from Lorna where she was here, like on some level I was new because again, in like a previous, like, issue I think it was during her bachelorette party she's here like I never slept with Bobby and so like I'm totally cool with that but I was curious if there was ever any plans for someone like Lorna 
to come in the book or if you just were like, you know, I, I think this sort of encompasses everything I need to say about that relationship with that text message. Yeah, the the text message, I, you know, like it's, I mean, you have to understand, like, I think when I was writing issue three, like, I was getting, like, I got a phone call, like, they were like, we're going to have you talk to um, Axel Alonzo, <laughs> like, and he was like, I like your book, you're already canceled, but <laughs> I'm going to give you, he's like, I want to give you, like, two more issues, like, he said he was going to give me 12 issues, but then he left. I think he left. He didn't get fired. He left, right? He left. So then they gave me one issue. Like, I made a case for one issue. And so I got 11 instead of 12. Because, I, like, he basically was like, yeah, like, let me give you as much time as possible. But you're also on a timeline, uh, like, on a clock. Uh, but like the trade needs to come out. We need to see how that does. So like, we'll buy you a little more time. Um, and he was giving me feedback for how the story should go. And he was just like, he's like, every book is a bullet. Like, and I looked at your outlines and, you know, he was the one that told me, cause I had, I had, I forget what, ha what happens in the book. Iceman comes out and then he fights Juggernaut. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. in so issue originally, three, in originally issue it was the other way around. Okay. I don't remember why I thought that was a good idea, but he was the <laughs> one to tell me. He was the one to tell me that it should be the other way around. Which, like, you know, then it's like Chef's Kiss. Like everything then kind of like coalesces perfectly. So it, you know, I was writing every issue just thinking like, crap. I don't. I don't really have time to like enjoy myself. And then also the issue six, seven, where um, the generations arc, like that was also kind of like, you know, like the editor at the time was like, hey, you have to be a part of this thing. Uh, like send us some Bobby ideas that go for generations. I'm thinking champions. And I sent him some ideas and he's like, champions it is. And it was like, you know, then it was like, I don't know how to fit this in this is really big. And so then he was like, okay, you get two issues. So then it just like, you know, the whole time I just never had the luxury of time. And then, and then by the time the word time, it just keeps coming up. Uh, <laughs> then when I had the opportunity to, to do the third collection that at that point, I just kind of wanted to do my own thing. And it was less about, you know, looking at these corners or thinking about these characters. And it was more, being like, okay, you have still back to only having so many bullets, but instead of kind of focusing on on how other people would want me to use those bullets, I I focused on how I wanted to use them, and that's that's why I always like the third one the most. Like, don't tell I tell everyone I don't care because it's like <laughs> that one's still in print, so make everyone buy it. Yes, go buy it right now. Everyone should absolutely buy it. It's got a but great you, cover. You have the, <laughs> all the just like. I love it. Uh, I, I, I have the trades back home. I'm in Florida right now. I don't have my trades. I'm so jealous right now, Lux. <laughs> I've got all my trades back there. I am ready for this. Uh, actually, one of, the, one of the things I did want to ask you, Sina, is so the whole book, right, is very funny. Like, along with being heartfelt in a way that feels like a Saturday morning cartoon, but not overly cheesy everyone is funny, like in their own ways. So how do you tap into 
like, you know, Lorna being funny this way, but then Bobby over here being funny this way, or even like Dakin makes a, a fridging joke. Um, <laughs> in I think it's the third volume. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Like, so how do you just like tap into all those different mindsets? I uh, usually will playlists. I would make a lot of playlists for each character. And then um, I think if you like, you know, like tension can also be used for comedy. And that was sort of where I went with things. And I also, because I needed to prove that like Bobby, like the nervous jokes were like, part of the character and 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 you know maybe i am a bad writer but like it was like i need you to know that like not at all like Hard the incessant disagree. well but like the incessant dad jokes are are a tick not because like i'm like hey guys like <laughs> i got another one for you um so I, I i tried to kind of inject jokes in other in other ways that worked differently than than the way bobby's humor was and like with doc Ken, like damn if they're if if and i and i told the editor what the dirty jokes were because they flew over his head and if i'd have just kept them in i think their their first issue together where like they're at that like private club he said so many ranchy raunchy things to him Um, he made a shocker joke he made uh i think he made an orgy joke and that was the one that the editor caught because he was using like ice golems and he made like a group scenario joke and he was like no 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 um even in winter's i'm sorry to cut you off but even in winter's end we see them together on the bed with like their legs on top of each other and now it's extremely raunchy yeah but it's i think it's like people can be in bed together, but people can't like say what they've done. They're doing in bed. It's the mm. weird dance with like these things. Cause isn't like when like, who was it? Who fucked Juggernaut? Like she Hulk or something. Yeah. And there's that awesome. I missed that there. issue entirely, but I'm going to go buy it right now. Yeah. It was the but early two thousands. This... It's like that big shot of them together in bed snuggling. After. Yeah. Yeah. It's that you can kind of show after the fact and you can show smooches um but like you know lord knows you can never like you can never show someone with their like hand like you know in the direction of like a downstairs part mm-hmm. um I don't well think. didn't morrison and quietly i think morrison they wanted to show emma giving scott like a psychic blowjob or something like that. Wow. And it was like, no, we, we, we can't do that. I don't know. I mean, I'm remembering things I like read on the message boards or interviews I, I heard of back before there was even like Ethernet cords. But I always think it's really interesting how like sex is depicted in comics. But that scene with I, I, I always say Dakin. Did you say how did you pronounce it, Cena? I think it's I, I say Doc Ken. So uh, that's um, scene with like Doc Ken and like Bobby. That is such a hot scene <laughs> which one like like the one where they're at the club dancing oh yeah yeah yeah. oh yeah yeah yeah. it's, it's very that. tense yes i wanted to yeah i it and that was a very yeah i don't know i it's yeah i wanted to do them as like kind of the will they won't they thing and then my editors were like you've got better stories to tell than like giving bobby drake a love a love life and then and then I was like, yeah, like, let's make him single and like not have that be on the 
on the fucking menu. And then, and it's funny because only after the book was done in that weird in between part of like me leaving and Hickman coming on and Marauders getting announced, that's when it was like, oh, like, Actually, I don't know. I don't know if I ever would have picked up that like he and Christian Frost could be a thing. I I kind of wanted them to be foils and have Christian kind of almost be like, I don't know. But, you know, I think they would I think that would have been hot, too. But like, it's just sort of like, oh, like Christian's like this broken boy. Yeah, would have been sexy. I don't know. Who knows? Are they are they do they do they have sex in in Jerry Duggan's book? I they they do do. have sex. They do. I'm going to say I said that. (laughs) (laughs) i love christian frost i loved christian frost in obviously when morrison when they introduced uh him but then he came back in the emma series and i guess i think it was a maxi series and he was more flushed out there until they brought him to morrison then he was mia and then you brought him back and i think that you were telling us it's because you had a conversation with daniel ketchum that you wanted to use emma but emma was busy i may be butchering your your story here but Someone said to you, well, she has a gay brother that we haven't used. And that's what yeah, you got to bring him in. Yeah, Daniel Daniel wasn't the one. It was my editor, Darren. Um, okay, gotcha. Darren Fan was the one who said that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's a cool dude. I just would have, like, I'm one of those people who, like, I wanted to fix him before I, like, thought of him as a love interest because he just sort of, like, was just out of like so many traumatic experiences and um but I, I you know I saw some drawing of him and I was like he got sexy he got really sexy really fast um, he looked so different when Phil Jimenez drew him in Murder at the Mansion I believe that was the arc they they first introduced Christian and then in the Emma series and then when you brought him back he looked more like how he did in the Emma series I'm forgetting who your artist was. Nate Stockman. Nate Stockman, yeah. yeah. He's good. He's good. He takes a lot of like my fashion cues. That's very important. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Iceman's Gala look, Hellfire Gala look? What do you think of that? I don't know if I saw the official one. Um, because I there's so like the number uh the number of like real the, the number of official looks versus like fan made ones. Oh, look at that cattail! Um, cattail. <laughs> that's how you know we're all humans. As our pets show up on zooms. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've seen the real one because again, I've just like so many show up on my Twitter feed and on Instagram, and you know, so many of these like fan accounts are like, you know, kind of like conglomerating them and formatting them the same way so i don't know if i've seen it is it good is because i saw one where he's in like heels like i think that's that the, the one, one? Mm-hmm. yeah okay where he's in like the gaga he- the mcqueen heels from like the mid 2000s thing i'm trying to pull it up here my reception I might, is i might i might pull a i might pull up madonna and call it reductive <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i think like it, it, i think like with like someone out there like Lil Nas x like you either think of like what the next thing is or you do something. Oh, it's not like, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't feel like very Bobby to me. Like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe people love it, but I just feel like it's like, you know, I don't know. It didn't feel I'm like, Bobby I'm not bitter. To me. 
It didn't feel very Bobby to me. I think it feels very Prodigy. I think it's very much some other characters. But for Bobby, I thought it was a little out there. Even given mm -hmm. his like current, you know, uh, appearance in Marauders. I, what did you think, Lux? I I was a little disappointed in that one. Um, it, it felt a little bit too almost pandery. Uh, yeah. I am admittedly, I'm behind on the comics. I, I enjoy reading the trades just because I like how they display. Um, so maybe they've had this big evolution in Bobby, but I feel like the, the Bobby that you wrote, Cena, is, you know, his queer identity isn't the whole of his identity. And th well, this yeah. feels like they're leaning into that a little bit more than you know, you would have if you were still in charge of the character. I just, yeah, I, I guess for me, if if I'd have had a say in it or had thoughts on it, like, yeah, like, because, like, I would always put him in, like, Fred Perry things. Like, his, <laughs> his like, like, I think he, he kept, like, a tight, clean look. Like, his color blocking, like, I agree. was I agree, great. Like, it wasn't, he wasn't trying to like he wasn't like david from schitt's creek you know what i mean exactly like he was like the, mm -hmm. yeah like that looks like an outfit that doesn't even look like an outfit david would wear that looks like an outfit billy porter would wear like um you know but like also it's like okay cool like i don't know if it's if like if it, if people embraced it then that's hot in the sense of like you know like people just finally like being like, all right, Bobby's gay. And sometimes he wears like outfits we don't agree with. <laughs> right. And I, I will say on the, the topic of hellfire looks in general, I think the best ones are the ones that incorporate their powers, right? Storm's Storm look is oh, yeah. just takes the crown every single time. But even you have uh, all of Emma's looks and, and Jean using her powers to hold her headpieces in place. And then I think the ones that kind of fall short, like the Kate Pride one, are just like, oh, it's just kind of like an interesting looking outfit that I could wear. Whereas if they've like incorporated her phasing ability somehow, it would have been a really interesting take on. Oh, and that's like, a really great point. The the thing that made me think of it is there's a part on hers where it like two pieces of fabric go across and they cross her body and make an X on the side, I think. Like just something as simple as putting that cross in the middle of her torso or something. Yeah. But I, I, it's, it's hard and I'm not the artist. So I guess I can't complain too much. I mean, you can't complain all you want. That's the, I mean, that's the, I think that's the great thing about X-Men in particular is the fans really, really have such a personal relationship with it. And it's so meaningful to the people who participate with it. Like, I think like, you know, the Avengers are cool, but we don't, we don't like see ourselves like in the Avengers in that like really real way mm -hmm. that like fucks you up and get like hits you to your core. Like, I don't think anybody fucking cares about like the Black Widow Hulk relationship in the MCU, like, or like, thank or you, even, next. Yeah, like, I don't know. It just, you know, like, someone's going to get... Like, the only couple that, like, I stand from the MCU that, like, has fucking teeth to me 
is like Wanda and Vision. You know what I mean? Like they're the only ones with like legitimate depth and like stakes. Um, Like every other relationship in those movies is just like, oh shit, we need two straight people to be in love. Yeah. Whereas the Wanda Vision relationship makes sense. Yeah. And they like gave it time in the show to like have it actually make sense. Cause I think a lot of the movies were just like, they're together and, and it's a big deal and, and just take our word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's, I just, you know, I think, I think it's, yeah. Like having those opinions and being, uh, feeling a way about decisions is very like par for the course. And like, I would say like necessary to being an X-Men fan. Well, well the- one of the things that I was thinking about, uh, Dayspring just got off a an Instagram live with Mr. Scott Free, and they were talking about how there are some people who will just, to the bitter end, stand this character or that character, whether it's a B-list, C-list, D-list character. And I was thinking about that watching the live, and I think that is the thing that makes the X-Men so special, that it's not a book about Captain America or a book about the Hulk or a book where these two characters exist together. It's a book about this whole group. And you get to look at that group and see everyone on equal footing and be like, I see myself in, um, in Banshee, right? When we did, um, what was the first book club? I'm blanking on it now. Oh, it was uh, the Felix Covenant. And- right. So <laughs> when we did that, I I connected with Banshee and Phalanx. Like it was like this big moment I had sitting right in this chair, just like, oh shit, I love this character all of a sudden. Yeah. And he doesn't have a huge, huge part in the book. I think he's pretty, yeah. pretty central, but you know, there's a lot of screen time to be shared. Well, yeah. I think to to both your points, I think what makes the X-Men so special is that when you grow up and, and you are the other, the idea that there's a school where you can go off to and you don't you can be saved from persecution, from from real world terror and, and find a family and find a tribe like that's very powerful at a young age. And I credit the X-Men for for me at a young age to able to cook these ideas of otherness and which would eventually evolve to me going to school like you greg and like studying judith butler and reading the dialect of sex and i already had a baseline for that understanding and i think the x-men can really speak to people in that general way does that make sense i think i feel like i'm just yeah, rambling yeah. no you're I, not rambling you're i had you're... a corona light so i'm like i'm so drunk now. you're fucking wild you're crazy <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god. It's empty. You drank it all. The I whole know. thing? Well, the whole thing, I know. Who is it's she? Insane. I know. <laughs> no, she's all tipsy. <laughs> That's good. Get into it. It's you're in Florida. Like you should have had two more. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the, the X-Men, I mean, I, I think the obvious metaphor, and we spoke about that in the previous uh, in the previous conversations, you know, and I think a lot of people relate to that on some level. And I think that's why the X-Men have a spectrum of audiences. And you get to see, you know, I think the other thing is you get to see kids who start out not being the hero or start out being the, like they're, they're on top of being othered in the grand scheme of things. They also in, in this own world 
suffer from whatever else holds them back. And, and, and most of them grow into um, really magnificent human beings who, who change the course of history. And I think that must be powerful too. Cause then you do look at all these kids and you know, it's like when we watch the movies and you're like, wait, was that Jubilee in the classroom? Wait, was that Bishop? Like, or, you know, I mean, you know, who you always know who Bishop is in the movies, but like, you know, you're, you're the fan. We're all like looking through saying like, Oh my God, like, is that an Easter egg? Or are they planting something or because those people end up becoming just such magnificent characters. And yeah, you don't get that with these other books um, the same way. And so, and, and that's a really special thing. I think if you're the shy, quiet kid or you're the weird looking one and, and then you, you know, like, especially like you're like, you're, you're all of them, your penance. And then you turn Jamila Jamil, like, <laughs> <laughs> There's just like, I, you know, I remember being in fourth grade and getting that uh, Fleer Ultra 94 of Rogue and just reading this little bio. And we were talking to Zeb Wells about this. And like, that's all you had on a character for like weeks. You know, you can't hop on Wikipedia in 1994 because the internet just didn't exist. And so you'd have to go out there and source that information. And it made that information, that character history so precious to you. And I was organizing some stuff here in my childhood bedroom. And I was like, wow, for the longest time, the only information I had on Magma was this little card. And I didn't read any issues about her until like maybe like seven years later, but I knew who Magma was. And I remember seeing the movie, exactly what you were saying, Sina. And seeing X-Men 1 and being like, oh, my God, was that girl with the red hair and the necklace? Was that magma? Was that supposed to be her? And it just there's something about X-Men that just incites that passion. Yeah, there's there's just always something to dig into, which is phenomenal. I think I had uh, when Dayspring and I first started about started talking about doing this episode. Uh, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to reread it. I'm going to take some notes. I'm going to do this. And I was trying so. <laughs> well, so I was trying so hard not to DM him about it and just be like, oh my God, I forgot about this. This is so much funny. This is so much funnier than I remember it being. And the, the one like, time. Save it for the podcast. Save yeah. it for the podcast. The we one time I broke though was when I was reading that text message scene. Cause uh, I, I don't think I told you that Iceman was the first comic that I read, right? I'd read a mm. little bit here and there, but this was the first one that I actually like looked at and spent time on. Uh, so the text message scene to me, not really having a big background in comics, it played just as like, okay, I can kind of get it. I understand what this phone is. Oh, ha ha, she got a new phone. Who is this? Um, but reading it, having a bigger knowledge after you know reading all the comics and and being a part of the, the community here it was so much better and it's just it's so great to have that like next level of enjoyment i'm just like love it the, i don't think there's the, a question the re-read there. Value. Was there wasn't <laughs> I, I do have i do have a question um so you as the writer how do you how do you go about controlling the passage of time in between panels Right, because some comic books, um, Iceman is one of them. Saga is another one. Uh, if you've never read Saga, oh my God, read it. Um, but it, the the time between panels is 
really crucial to the storytelling, the flow of a scene. So is that something that, that you're just like, okay, I, I've got Stockman doing my art, figure it out. Or is that something that you're like, no, I want this panel to do this and this panel to do that. Uh, so I, well, you know, a couple things play into that. I, I, I draw comics on my own. So I always like lay out the story, uh, myself just to make sure like I'm not doing anything that would really annoy the artist um, or, or something that would make sense. Um, but one thing an editor told me was that because I would like, you know, when I would do these heavy outlines and, and really break down what would happen, you know, panel to panel, uh, an editor told me like, you know, the reader doesn't need to see how someone gets somewhere. Like they know that the character gets there. So you don't have to show like, Iceman walks down the hallway to get to the other room to get to the, you know, parking lot. Like, just get, he can just be in the parking lot, the next panel. Um, and that was, like, really hard for me because I, I think, like, there's, like, a weird storyboarder element in my head where I'm like, no, we, like, we must know. We must track. <laughs> um, but uh, all that being said is, you know, and then it comes down to, like, communication and playing to each of the artist's strengths, like, you know, the first artist we had, Alessandro VT, like, didn't speak English. And so, you know, we had to be very, like, specific in case he was using, like, Google Translate. Um, and then Nate was really humor-driven, um, but then would miss, like... I'm, I only realized this, like, after working with him. He would, like, miss, like, cues because we would get so chatty and bantery about just, like, the vibe of things that then, like, it's, like, Oh, but he totally like did not know that that was like, you know, that need that panel needed to show that thing. Like there was um, in the first issue with Nate in volume three uh, at the end, there was supposed to be a scene where like Bobby's like cloning himself like crazy. And for whatever reason, he just like didn't draw it and like focused on this other thing. And so we had to have like, we had to like, after the fact, put a balloon um, coming from off screen being like, there's many more of them like attacking us. They're multiplying <laughs> crazy. Um, because like, I didn't notice it either. I was like too busy just being like, wow, this double page spread is awesome. And also like, I'm not the editor. Sorry. Like, and it, but it's also like, but when you're the writer, you have to like advocate for those things because I think editors get really swamped and they're not, they're not always looking at the script next to the artwork. And they're just more like, Oh, is the artwork turned in on time? Um, and I think I like something I learned was like, oh, they like expect the writer to like triple check this stuff too. Um, Interesting. But yeah, no. So yeah, I think it's, you know, it's just a matter of like what the artist's strengths are and also what the purpose, like what the journey you want to put the reader on is too. Like if you want to disorient them or if there is something to be gained by kind of giving them like an idiosyncratic experience, um, so on and so forth. Or if you just want to do a cool fight scene, like, you know, and then you're just like, all right, like I just need to devote 12 pages to like the shit looking cool. So like when, when you're talking about like wanting to do a cool fight scene, is, is that something that like when you're finding like a new way for Bobby to use his powers, for example, um, is that something that you just have this cool image in your mind? Like, how do I work that into his power set? No, it, that was the hardest part for me. I have the worst imagination for that stuff, which is so crazy because like I grew up reading all of this and I just like, my brain does not 
go to those things. I mean, I think I like, I think my brain knew exactly what to do when he and Emma go into his mind like that. Like I knew, I knew visually like what I wanted to do there and how that would play out. But it was always like me trying to come up with something new or interesting that either had been done, but just hadn't been done as exciting, you know, as like magnificently. Um, And then even then it would be like, oh great, the one issue of like Astonishing X-Men I didn't read or something. Or no, it wasn't that. It was like Wolverine (laughs) and the X-Men. And then it was like, oh yeah, the one issue I didn't pick up. Like he does that thing. Okay, whatever. Um, But, you know, more to that point, I, I, I focused on the, like the metaphor of it. So it would, the, the ice manifestation would kind of like, I talk a lot about phases in the book and like the phases of matter and even the word matter in the book is like um, deployed with great intention. Um, And so, you know, I talk a lot about how, like in that, in that first arc, he talks with his dad about how, you know, phasing into the mist was sort of actually like Mm self-harm. And I, by the end of my arc, wanted to just turn every sort of, Thing he did with his ice power into actually like self-love um so that was i kind of focused on the metaphor and then and then would be like okay here's what i'm thinking to the artist and then i'd be like but if you can think of something better please do. <laughs> um so yeah uh, that's what i did. i i do also want to say and just big respect it was was v the one who did he do the art for the juggernaut issue yeah, Alessandro did that. Okay, the the panel where this is a spoiler. If you're gonna, if you've never read it before, fast forward twenty seconds. <laughs> um, there's a panel where Juggernaut crushes Bobby, right, and that's mm-hmm. what triggers him phasing into um, into the mist and then vapor, reappearing. Yeah, vapor, vapor, yeah. Um, but there's like a close up on the side of Bobby's face as like his body is crushed that panel is traumatizing that panel <laughs> haunts my dreams it is so good <laughs> alessandro was like a beast with that stuff yeah. he just he just he wasn't he wasn't pulling off the monthly deadlines <laughs> but he was <laughs> but the issues he did were like out of control yeah look at that it's just the whole well, you thing. know we gotta make we gotta make the reader think he's gonna die like <laughs> and like i knew he wasn't the book is i had i had volume two in my hand while i was reading this and i was like oh my god did they just kill my baby boy bobby yeah yeah the next arc is all vision becomes ice man sorry <laughs> <laughs> so, you know one of the things that i love about and i've been thinking about this for a while with the idea of the LGBTQIA plus metaphor is that you really utilize teen Bobby. And I thought the scene where teen Bobby comes to have dinner with the parents and the parents mindset is, Oh my God, we have a fresh start. We can, we can do what we did wrong. Like we can undo what we did wrong and make it right with our son. I mean, how was it, writing something like that because I think it really humanized the parents and and that's something you did throughout the entire run don't don't get me wrong but that moment in particular you really see what makes these these folks tick and I just thought it was brilliant the way you executed that 
Yeah, well, it just goes back to like, I wanted to always kind of just slightly subvert what your expectations are of parent figures in this process. Like they, because parents are people too, and they're coming from where they're coming from. And it's, you know, and they have these weird, uh, they project these like weird expectations on you because like you're theirs, you know, but then also a lack of you puts things in perspective too. Um, so I just wanted to, you know, I, yeah, like I wanted to just make them complicated, but like always still kind of weird and fucked up. And that issue was a lot of fun for me because, you know, I think like older Bobby just lived so much in like, you know, like kind of just like, he was like always down on himself for being so behind on the times. And then young Bobby, you know, is just sort of like, just such a punk. Like he just doesn't give a fuck <laughs> and it's great and it's fun and it's refreshing. So I just, I, I liked that. And I liked even that, just making that character vulnerable too, you know, in his own way. Um, that was, yeah, that was a really lovely issue. And, and it's funny because I feel like in a lot of, he was almost, it's almost like I had to start the series with like, Buffy's little sister Dawn or like Seven, the kid in Married with Children who shows up for like I think about Seven all the time because <laughs> I, I watched Married with Children as a kid, but I never really fully realized what happened with his arc until I was an adult. So I love I love the the scene where Christina Applegate's character, I forget Kelly, is thinking of something and like she's learning new things, but like her old memories are leaving and seven is just randomly like one of those images that pop out of her head <laughs> that she forgets about, which I love. So it was, a, but yeah, it was a little bit like that where you have this, like, I'm the precocious, like burst of new energy starting the series. And it was just all, it, you know, sometimes it felt like a little bit of a creative hindrance because it was like, I have to explain that this character's here and this, and also that character, like, is like captivating and young and and isn't hung up on these things that like younger readers are so sick of too, you know? But then it's like, but the job I had was to focus on this older guy and his Irish Catholic guilt and like him dealing with like the legacy of his own self. Um, so it was so weird to like have him there. But then I think in that issue, I at least got to like work it to my benefit and be like, ha! well kid you got issues too motherfucker like <laughs> but it, it was just so brilliant because i've had friends who've come out later in life like in their mid to late 30s and they've always asked the question well what would my life have been like had i come out you know earlier during my teen life and i know obviously with with the the continuity in the comic books it, that is bobby and he did come out but he didn't know he had those experiences until after extermination, but I thought it was just such a, a really great way of someone like that, just to see that, but also he had his own strength and he had his own journey. And I just thought it was so lovely the way that story unfolded in the end. Well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> How did you feel about, Gene, when Teen Gene outed Bobby, and you sort of dealt with that in Winter's End, you you sort of closed the 
you know, the, the debate and the back and forth on that because he confronts adult Gene about it. How did you how did you feel about that coming out scene that Bendis wrote and then you sort of had to tie that up? Well, I, I will say I didn't have to tie it up. I wanted to tie it up. Um, yes. That was something I kind of wanted to, I wanted to, it was the same thing of like the, the when the minute I got on the book, I was like, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. And it was like the Emma thing, the Jean thing. And with the Emma thing, you know, she was like tied up. The Jean thing, Jean was dead. <laughs> so like, <laughs> um, like, like his Jean was dead. Like young right. Jean was still there. And um what was really great about when, like also the other thing too was Bendis was still at Marvel when I was there and they were kind of like, no, don't, don't touch anything. That's like Bendis is like, don't, don't do anything that could be perceived as critical of what Brian did. And I was like, well, maybe if I like talk to him and like, you know, um, explain my point of view. And they're like, no, don't talk to him. Like, don't do that. And it's funny. Cause I did talk to him recently. I don't remember why. I just like reached out to him. I don't know. I was like, you know, we're trapped at home. And he wrote, oh, he gave me a quote for uh, this book I did with my friends getting it together at Image. Out now from Image Comics. <laughs> Which um, is so great. I haven't Thank read it yet, but the trade is right there. <laughs> Thank you. Both of you go review it on Amazon. You, even though you haven't Consider read it Consider it done. Do it. Done. Thank you. Five stars done. immediately. Thank you. I Thank love, you. Uh, we talked about, I, I think like- Wait, 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 20... we're not promoting that book. We're not promoting that book. We're <laughs> go, about go, go, fit, we don't, we don't, we don't want to lose. We don't want to lose viewers, but I'll, I'll finish on this. I'm really sorry. I have to go. I did talk to Brian. Brian was like, you totally could have done that. I'm so sorry that like they told you that. Oh, well. Um, and once he had left and like, I don't think he like, I think everyone like kind of had a bad taste in their mouths after that experience. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of just like his exit, like I think everyone was just kind of mad at everyone. I don't really know the details. Um, I was like, fuck it. I want to deal with this gene thing. And so that's how I got Winter's End. Um, I'm so, so sorry. I do have to uh, bounce you a lot. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Cena. I appreciate you. Get out of here. Thank you so much, Cena. This was wonderful. Thank you. I had fun. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Man, there you go. That was a surprise. Dayspring. Thank you so much. That was so, so sweet. I will say, like, there was a part of me that was like, is he going to get Cena? But I didn't <laughs> I didn't want to speak it into existence because then, like, if it was anything else, I just would have been like, oh, thanks. Mm. <laughs> when I was like, mm, maybe we should just postpone this episode because mm. I'm trying to, like, coordinate something and then his schedules are all over the place. Oh yeah. Um, and it, it worked. And I mean, Cena's such an amazing human being and Cena has supported this podcast, not only by being a guest, but also like regramming and always reaching out like such a great oh, yeah. human. I, I go every, every now and then, especially during the pandemic, he would like just do a live with one of his friends. Yeah. I would just like be there watching and just in the comments, there'd be like, you know, 10 or 12 of us. And the whole time I was like, don't fangirl about, don't fangirl <laughs> about your paper. Don't fangirl about your paper. Uh, fangirl it, about your paper. <laughs> but it was just, it, it's just, he's such a great guy. Um, and I will say that like this, this comic taught me so much about the queer community. Like I've always been, you know, I've always tried to be as much of an ally as possible. Right. I, I did a documentary on my friend who is a drag queen in town um, for 
my capstone for my minor. Um, and I've, you know, to being in theater, like you don't escape it. Like you are going to know people who are gay. And the, the big one for me that I didn't quite, that I didn't realize at all when I first started reading was how much of a faux pas it was for Gene to out Bobby. Like yeah. my dumb little straight boy brain was like, oh, that's a, that's an interesting story element. And like, didn't even consider that like, hey, that's a, that's a really fucked up thing to do to someone. Yeah, no. And it's, it's so interesting that you said that because yeah, even me as at the time being a very much adult LGBTQI identifying individual, I was like, oh, look at that. Bobby's gay. And it didn't even <laughs> click on me that, wait, no, mm-hmm. Gene outed Bobby. And the only thing I can say is that the conversation just wasn't there at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And that that is sort of, I think in terms of our fandom, brought a very important issue that has progressed significantly in comics. It's still not perfect, but at least we've made strides to go somewhere. And, you know, that's a that's a really interesting scene because again, I was excited that they confirmed that Bobby was gay. It totally went over my head again yeah. that, that, oh wait, Gene outed him. And yeah. so, and so then, like, I the, did... the thing that like, it's another one that like haunts me. It's from that ice master one where he just screams, you know what you did Yeah, talking to Gene. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. It's a big holy shit moment. Yeah. It's very powerful, even just like talking about it. Remind me, in Winter's End, the 05 had already gone back in in time. <laughs> and Gene and Gene already yeah. had the memories of teen Gene at that point. Because then even Bobby says, like, that wasn't right, Gene, but I forgive you and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And you know, I it's See what Cena did, and this is what I thought was so masterful. The, there were so many sci-fi elements at play mm-hmm. <laughs> here: time travel, seeing alternate versions of yourself, uh, mutant powers, being a superhero, and they were able to use all of those elements as a lens to analyze the mutant metaphor and how mm-hmm. it's applicable to being LGBTQIA plus. So, I was, I'm so glad we were able to surprise you. That I was just, so great. I was I probably was going to spoil it because I was just like, well, I don't want you to not be prepared, but you were the second scene that came on. You had like, I saw it, man. Like you were on and everything. Like I like, there was honestly like at the very beginning, like my, like my arms were shaking and I'm like, where are my notes? What did I write down? <laughs> uh, but like, I have this like block in my brain where I'm just like, always be cool and collected even if inside i'm like on fire just like no, everything's man, terrible <laughs> your 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 game face was next level and like i Thank like you. i came i came on and when i started the zoom i was like oh cena's there already and like i didn't get to do like even like the full like song and dance where we like interview you in great detail that takes up like two hours <laughs> of the <laughs> but that just means we're gonna have you back again in the future oh literally anytime we said loki my preparation for that is i'm just gonna listen to justin and alicia when they recap things and i'm gonna try to tune them because they are so good i love justin and alicia so much the x5 is so great where can people connect with you uh they can connect with me on instagram my instagram is greg underscore house underscore um because you can't get 
Greg House as an Instagram handle. It's impossible because of that damn show. Um, anything else though? Uh, I'm not really on. I'm not really on Twitter. I think I have a Twitter. Uh, if anyone finds my Finsta, I'll I'll Venmo you three dollars. <laughs> that is a promise. I accept all followers, especially if you want to talk to me about nerd stuff. And if you want to read that paper, I'll send it to anyone and their dog. Yes, and the dog won't <laughs> eat the homework this time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, guys. As always, I'm the Uncanny Dace Rain signing off.